Hey, Harpy Hour fans. We're running a very special promotion for all of our loyal listeners. It's a merch giveaway, specifically our logo stickers, because, well, it's the only merch we have right now. But there's a catch. We're not just giving them away. You have to earn them. To get a sticker, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your preferred streaming platforms. So send us a screenshot or a picture proof that you've done both of those things. So again, that's subscribing to the show and leaving a review. You can send it to any of our social media accounts at Harpy Hour Pod, or you can email it to harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, also give us your address so we can mail you the sticker. You'll also get a shout out on social media and in an episode of the show for our thanks. And don't worry if you can only do one of those two things for whatever reason, I don't know why, do both. You'll still get a shout out, but no sticker. So make the effort. Do better. This promo is only going to last until we've given away our first 20 stickers or if this whole thing crashes and burns, whatever happens first. So hurry up, run, don't walk and get your sticker now. Also, don't forget to tell your friends because, you know, what's cooler than having matching stickers on your water bottle or a laptop? Nothing. Nothing. There's literally nothing cooler than that. Nope. So... Tell your friends, you can each get stickers, show off your friendship, and share your Harpy love. And remember, if you want to see even more Harpy Hour merch coming up, support us on Patreon. These funds will help us improve the show and grow our brand. Now, before you enjoy the episode, check out this promo for another awesome podcast to add to your list. And stick around for Harpy Hour! Hey, I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And together we host Drinking and Screaming. We're a new horror discussion podcast based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, where each episode we pair a new cocktail with our movie of the week. For instance, I'm pairing this ad with just a shot of tequila. You know, because most ads are horrible. With Drinking and Screaming, you'll find yourself pulled into a new horror film to discuss and a new cocktail to try every week. Every episode is laced with great soundtracks, theme breakdowns, production trivia, Char's bad drinks, and so much more. What? I said clips from the movie. New episodes every week. Join in on the spoops. Drinking and screaming wherever podcasts are found. I give this ad a 5 out of 10. You know, we don't rate the movies. 5 out of 10. (laughs) Harpy Hour may contain explicit language as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour. <coughs> Shalom. Oh, oh God. <laughs> you were just holding we that in. We are so sorry, everyone. <laughs> Steph, you're not Steph, you're off the, the welcome we had hoped for you. <laughs> Steph, you're off the podcast. You're fired. Sorry. <laughs> Please do not come to work again. Yes. <laughs> Please don't stop listening to us, listener. I just inhaled a snack between episodes and ate too fast, I guess. Oh, does your tummy hurt? It doesn't hurt. It just it got burpy. Not anymore now that you let that gas go. <laughs> yeah. Well, normally this is the part where I would say we're your favorite harpies, but I'm not so sure. I don't, I'm not sure we are. I'm not confident that we are. But two out of three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, rude. <laughs> I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph, and I'm sorry.
She's not that sorry. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> you giggled. And this is our podcast where sometimes Steph burps, but for the most part, we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Hooray! Be entertained. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what extra entertainment we have? What? What I don't do know, we Elizabeth. have? Why don't you tell me? But it's not for everyone. Sorry, fans. You have to be on Patreon if you want it. Yeah, but why wouldn't you be on Patreon anyway? I don't know. Get on it. Seems like a bad decision to me to not mm-hmm. be a Patreon. Five bucks a month and you'll get this special extra content. We have another AMA and ask me, us, anything. Yeah, um, AUA didn't come off as, as great. No, it's just like not a universally recognizable no. acronym. Nope. So me as in the, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, that comes out this week on Thursday. And at certain levels, you can get this benefit if you subscribe. You can listen to the AMAs and you can also submit questions for the AMAs. And so mm-hmm. you can submit three and we will answer them. So we have three really fun questions from all of our June Patreon supporters that subscribed at that level. Hooray! So you go ahead. Hooray. Subscribe. $5 a month is the, is the minimum to get extra content. That is less than a Starbucks coffee. A month. That doesn't include AMAs. But that's the minimum to get like the GNTs and the... Right. Baseline yeah. extra content. So do it. Mm-hmm. One coffee a month. So do it. Make your coffee at home that day. One day. We're worth it. Give five bucks. Listen to our G&Ts. If you like it, you'll like our AMAs even more. Because mm. we're hilarious. Mm. Super hilarious. So you can go back and keep bumping up your subscriptions until you get to massive orgasms. And then you can pick topics for us. Yes. So you should just go straight there. Yeah. Just just cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to be a master of orgasms? I mean, yeah. So Tracy. What? I hear you've got something for us today. I mean, I debated it, but I guess I'll do it. Mine is Martha was right. And you will understand why I am so indignant about it when we get to my segment. <laughs> Martha Stewart? Mm-mm. Nope. Martha Washington? I was thinking Washington. Not Martha Washington either. No. Nope. Don't know any other Marthas. This is a continuation of my raging against the machine. So mm. it's going to be great. I'm excited. This is actually also from the 70s, like last week's segment, which is was unintentional, but I'm not mad about it. Anyway, Liz. Yeah. Liz. Liz. Yeah. Liz. Yeah. yeah. Do something. Today I'm doing Captain (laughs) Smith's Capers. Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? No, because that's wildly inaccurate. Oh. The wind doesn't have colors, Tracy. God. (laughs) Guys, I do not pretend to be a scientista. (laughs) (laughs) Steph, what are you harping on today? Today I'm going to harp about... The smell of success. Mm, smells. Oh. Mm-hmm. We talked about smells. This is different. Oh, okay. The Sweet Smell of Success is a Broadway show. Oh, maybe that should be my title. The Sweet Smell of Success. <laughs> no, that's plagiarism. <laughs> that is plagiarism. You can't. No. No. <laughs> Fix it in post. All right. It's not a sweet smell, so. Okay. Very much not a sweet smell. All right. Guess we'll do this now. As I said, my segment is titled, Martha Was Right. So today, we are going to talk about 
the Martha Mitchell effect. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I don't know what this is. Yeah, I have no idea. Note, this is going to get very ragey. You have been warned. All right, everyone, turn your volume down right now. <laughs> I can only turn Tracy down so much when I edit. I try, you guys. I'm just naturally voluminous. <laughs> <laughs> what if your microphone was, like, down at your neck? Tracy should do what Liz does, where she walks away from her computer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just shouting from the other room. <laughs> and it would still be louder than me and Elizabeth. <laughs> That's fine. As you are probably wondering, who was Martha Mitchell? I am. Yes. Well, let me tell you. She was married to John Mitchell, who was... Who's Nixon- John Mitchell? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Nixon's first attorney general and head of the committee to reelect the president, a.k.a. Creep. <laughs> so what, uh, Creep? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's rubbing off on me. Now I'm doing it all the time. You're welcome. <sighs> we will refer to the committee to reelect the president as CRP. John is a total douchebag who basically delivered the South to Nixon during the first election with a bunch of race baiting. OMG, it's like nothing ever changes. So Martha is the fun one in their relationship, but she can also throw the fuck down. Interesting. Reportedly, whenever men would break off after dinner to retreat in a cloud of smoke and congratulate each other on being masters of the universe, like Rose Dawson describes in Titanic. You're Mm -hmm. welcome. Circle jerk themselves. Yep. Martha would put on a hula skirt and drink the booze that was left over. And Why is (laughs) the hula skirt necessary? (laughs) I mean, that was just for fun. That was just what she liked to do. No judgment. But also, when her Supreme Court pick was losing the Senate hearing, she called each of the senator's wives and tried to mean girls her way into getting him confirmed. (laughs) Like, she can throw down, even though she's like a fun party girl. As we learned last time, women can do things. They they can. Like actual meaningful things. It's weird. Like we have brains or something. So she's nicknamed Martha the Mouth or the Mouth of the South because she was originally from Arkansas. I like Mouth of the South much better than Martha Martha the Mouth. mouth. Yeah. (laughs) She got these nicknames because she loved to gossip. Bitch loved Mm. to goss. Some mouthy broad. Yeah. So she liked to listen in on her husband's phone calls to get all the hot Washington goss. So then she would call people late at night to repeat what she heard, and she'd get belligerent if they didn't want to listen to her. (laughs) So, like, this is a direct quote from Martha to the White House military assistant. So she's calling the White House drunk right now. (laughs) Don't you go back to sleep, you little son of a bitch. Remember that my husband is the fucking attorney general for the United States of America. Damn, girl. Yeah. Damn. Throw your weight around. Take about 25% off there now. Yeah. (laughs) Her favorite hobby was to get wasted at government dinners, call reporters, and (laughs) repeat repeat everything she heard. That's a bad habit. (laughs) (laughs) She would repeat everything she heard at these dinners on the record, which is hilarious. Oh, my God. Her fave reporter was Helen Thomas of the United Press and the White House Press Corps. You may know Helen Thomas because she is a badass. She is like a badass champion for women's rights at the time. So this totally makes sense why she why Helen would be Martha's favorite reporter. 
Helen, just fun fact, convinced JFK not to attend the 1962 White House Correspondence Dinner unless women could also attend. Oh, nice. So the women were not allowed before that? Correct. It was like a big boys club? That's shitty. I mean, wasn't literally everything that? I guess. Yeah, that's not surprising. I would have thought they would have gotten their plus ones with their wives. I didn't realize it was nope. an all-boys club before No, that. no, 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 no. Because it's unseemly. Because they would make fun of things and they would, you know, all of that stuff. Too harsh for women's delicate ears. That is correct. We can't stand it. We don't have the constitution. They would all get emotional. My virgin ears. Yep. So, spring 1972. Martha starts hinting to reporters that the Republicans were using, quote, dirty tricks to win the election. So literally nothing ever changes. <laughs> she kept making reference to the Republicans, quote, setting up her husband, John, for something, though she was never like specific about what it might be. So Nixon, because of these comments, he's like, all right, well, Martha's running her fucking mouth again. So I have to hire a bodyguard <laughs> named Steve King to keep an eye on Martha. No, not that Stephen King. <laughs> That's spring of 1972. The rest of this takes place in June 1972, which, if you know your history, you will recognize as the month of Watergate. Mm. Oh, that thing. Yep, that old chestnut. Never heard of it. The Watergate burglary (laughs) happens Saturday, June 17th, 1972, okay? So this is Sunday, the day after. Martha and John are in Newport Beach, California, for a bunch of Republican fundraisers when the news of the burglary the night before breaks. John gets a phone call while he's at a fundraiser and decides to rush back to D.C. to handle the situation because he's the head of CRP. So he's like, I have to get on record, like doing damage control. Since he knows Martha has a gigantic mouth, (laughs) he's like, oh, just stay here. Enjoy the California weather. Like, it's too hot in D.C. right now. It's nice here. Just like stay here another week. It's so nice. True. D.C. is blistering hot in June. (laughs) It's not a lie. John secretly instructs King, the bodyguard, as well as the hotel staff, not to let Martha see any of the news. Good luck. So that lasts a grand total of like 12 hours. Yeah. Like, how do you keep that from happening? Okay. Well, understandably, it's the 70s. So like, Hmm. you know, it's mostly like radio, some TV, like. She's not getting alerts stinging on her phone from her friends. Right. She's not like. Well, it's also there's not like 24 hour news stations back then, I don't think. Right. Right. So there's no like. They just had the news at five or whatever. Checking the, yeah, there's no like checking Twitter. There's no 24 hour news cycle at that point. So this is Monday, June 19th, the next day. Martha ends up seeing the cover of the LA Times in the hotel lobby talking about the Watergate break in. So John, the husband, has been making official White House statements defending Nixon, saying that the break ins are unrelated to the CRP, which again is the committee to reelect the president. So he's saying, we're not involved. Nixon's not involved. We don't know anything about it. The LA Times story, however, says that James W. McCord Jr., who is the security director of the CRP, and Martha's daughter's bodyguard and driver. The LA Times says that this guy was among those arrested. So it's in direct contradiction to what John is saying. So Martha's like, oh shit, he's lying for the president. Like, he could go to jail. This is not good. Mm. So Martha unsuccessfully tries calling John. 
she ends up telling one of his aides that her next call would be to the press. Like, if he doesn't pick up the phone, I'm calling the press. Uh. At this point, King has already fucked up. He decides to lock Martha in her room without access to her phone. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. So Martha's locked in the room and her phone is like unplugged from the wall. Plug it back in. (laughs) That's all it took back then. Yep. Fast forward to Thursday. So that was Monday. This is Thursday. She's still June in the room? June 22nd. She's still fucking in the room. Jesus. Martha sneaks into the adjoining room to hers and uses the phone to call Helen Thomas. So Martha tells Helen that she intends to leave her husband until he resigns from the CRP. So she's threatening him. The phone call abruptly ends, but before the line goes dead, Helen hears Martha scream, stop, get away from me. Oh, no. So now we know that it was King pulling the phone cord out of the wall and physically restraining Martha. But Helen doesn't know that at the time. Right. Helen tries to call the hotel back, but the staff says that Martha is, quote, indisposed and is not taking phone calls at this time. Hmm. So Helen tries to call John for comment, the husband, and he gives the following super patronizing answer. Martha gets a little upset about politics, but she loves me and I love her. And that's what counts. Fuck you. Get the fuck out of here, John. Get the fuck out. A few days later, I don't have any specific date for this, but a few days later, we're at the uh, Westchester Country Club in Rye, New York, which is like right outside the city. Crime reporter Marsha Kramer from the New York Daily News tracks Martha down at this country club. She sees Martha, and Martha has these, like, quote, incredible black and blue marks all over her. She's clearly been beaten up. She has cuts and bruises all over her arms, her hands and her arms. So Martha, okay, so this is going to get a little confusing. Martha explains to Marsha, the reporter, what happened in the California hotel. So Martha tells this reporter that she was held kidnapped for several days without food, that King wouldn't leave the room at all, even when she was dressing and undressing, that she tried to escape by climbing out the window and literally climbing on the like edge outside. So she's like scaling the building. Jesus. Yeah. So King climbs out of the window and grabs her and like wrestles her inside. So they're like ready to fall off of the precipice of this building. Oh my God. So at this point, King calls a doctor. He has five men pin Martha to a bed, pull down her pants and they tranquilize her. Martha needs stitches from the incident. From these five men, like, piling up on her. Yeah. The fuck? So she's tranquilized. She's explaining that that's what happened while she was in the hotel. We're back in New York. Martha's kidnapping story is publicly discredited by Nixon's medical staff. Nixon's doctors say that she, quote, has a drinking problem, which we know isn't entirely untrue. So the story is largely dismissed by the American public. And then Martha is sent to Silver Hill Hospital, which is a psych facility in New Canaan, Connecticut. And she continues to tell doctors, nurses, anyone who will listen, that John is being set up to take the fall for Watergate. But it falls largely on deaf ears. John eventually resigns from CRP, citing wanting to spend more time with his family as the reason. Like, okay, Bullshit. John. Bullshit. After what okay, you did to your wife? John. Yeah. Yeah. After what you allowed to happen to your wife, you want to spend right. more time with her? Fuck right. you. And despite her loyalty to him, the Mitchells split in September 1973. 
John is convicted of perjury, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy in January 1975 for his involvement in covering up the Watergate scandal. So he ends up spending 19 months in federal prison. Mm. February 1975. This is three years after Watergate and the kidnapping. McCord, who you will recall was the security director for CRP and the daughter's bodyguard. So McCord after having been convicted for his own role in the Watergate burglary, admitted that Martha was, in his words, quote, basically kidnapped and corroborated her story. Basically, you know. Basically. Definitely. But let's define kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> Bring out the definition of kidnapping and let's see if it fits. Hold on, I'm Googling it right now. I'm surprised you don't have it already. It's part of your formula. The action of abducting someone and holding them captive. I mean, she was absolutely held captive. So. Yes. <laughs> McCord also said that Nixon's top aides had been, quote, jealous of Martha's popularity in the media and had specifically looked for ways to embarrass her. So they're like, she's getting all this positive attention. Like, what the fuck? She was on Laughing a couple times, which was that show back in the 70s that was super popular. Kind of like an SNL type of thing. Okay. She also made it to the cover of Time as one of oh. Washington's most influential women. Wow. Yeah. Even Trump hasn't been on the cover of Time. Imagine. Nixon's aides are like pissed off and they're like, we need to take her down somehow. Nixon was later quoted saying, if it hadn't been for Martha Mitchell, there'd have been no Watergate. What? I mean, really, if you hadn't have, you know, fucked everything up, there wouldn't have been a Watergate. But Martha was <laughs> the one who broke the story. So yeah. Martha's legacy. Martha is abandoned and disowned by nearly her entire family for her role in exposing the Watergate scandal. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Despite her story being confirmed by basically everyone involved, facts don't matter to Republicans. After Watergate, Steve King went on to own a chemical manufacturing company and then became head of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, where he became besties with former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. Steve King is our current ambassador to the Czech Republic. Despite the fact that he has never denied holding Martha captive or drugging her, he wasn't asked about the incident in his confirmation proceeding and was confirmed by Donald really? Trump in really oh, oh. and was confirmed by Donald Trump in 2017 because rich white men have no consequences for their actions. <sighs> Martha dies on May 31st, 1976 of cancer at age 57, mm. broke and entirely alone. Aww. And the flowers at her funeral were arranged by her casket to read, Martha was right. Yes. Fuck yeah, she was. So metal. Sites in Martha's honor include the Martha Bial Mitchell Home and Museum, which is her childhood home in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas. Martha Mitchell Expressway in Pine Bluffs and a bust of Martha at the Pine Bluff Civic Center with a plaque that reads, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The Martha Mitchell effect is when a psychiatrist mistakenly or willfully identifies a patient's true but extraordinary claims as delusions, a.k.a. Gaslighting. When the establishment dismisses someone who was right the entire fucking time. 
definitely a form of gaslighting used to manipulate and make people doubt their own memory. Hashtag rape culture. Examples include Rosemary's baby, where she conceives Satan's baby and tries to tell people that something is wrong and no one listens to her. The conclusion is that we should all believe women and that just because you're right doesn't mean people won't call you crazy. (sighs) And that's the Martha Mitchell effect. That's infuriating. Right? Right? Yeah, right. She was right. Martha was (laughs) right. That's, I want that on my tombstone. Martha was right. I really like her, her whole, her whole vibe though. Like, yeah. Drinking, not giving any fucks. She gave zero fucks. She gave zero (laughs) fucks. And she's like calling people like important fucking people. And it's like, you know, don't you fucking go back to sleep. Do you know who the fuck I am? Like, no. Throwing her weight around a little. Yeah. And then she's telling the truth the whole time. You know, I can't believe her family left her. That's sad. Everyone except her son, Jay. Hmm. But like her husband, her daughter, her, her parents, like everyone, they all abandoned her. That's fucked up. Yep. Yep. We hear you now, Martha. We hear you. Martha, Martha, Martha. No. (laughs) No. Captain Smith's Capers. Gonna talk today about Captain John Smith. You may know him as the man who founded Jamestown, or inaccurately as the love interest of Pocahontas, if you believe the Disney stories. Which you absolutely should. I thought Disney stories were always (laughs) accurate and truthful to history. Yes. Yes. You thought wrong, Steph. I'm sorry to break the news to you. Boo. No bueno. But before Jamestown, like, who was John Smith before he became a settler of the New World? I've always wondered. I don't know. I never wondered until I found out and thought it was interesting. Okay. So much of what we know about John Smith from his pre-colonial days is from his autobiography called The True Travels, Adventures, and Observations of Captain John Smith, 1630. At initial glance, historians are like, this is bullshit. Like, there's absolutely no way all of this can be true. But cross-checking it with other documents and letters at the time and, like, historical records, his autobiography is actually mostly verifiable. Okay. Well, So let's take a look at what these sort of, these capers are that raise so many questions that turn out to likely be true. Yes, let's. (laughs) We'll start with... Early life, he was born in either 1579 or 1580, no birth certificate, in Lincolnshire, England. As a young boy, he idolized British explorers, such as Sir Francis Drake, who sailed around the world plundering gold. So that was just, those were his childhood dreams. Okay. But his father was a farmer, and he didn't appreciate his son's wanderlust. And after a number of attempts to run away, his father apprenticed him to a wealthy merchant, hoping that this would just, like, settle him down. Squash and, his dreams. Yeah. <laughs> ground him. Bring him back to reality. <laughs> Ruin his outlook on life. Yeah. Okay. But when his father died in 1596, he terminated his apprenticeship and <laughs> struck out for... Take that, Dad! <laughs> 
and he struck out for the continent, so mainland Europe, where he joined a company of English mercenaries. So these are soldiers for hire that just like bounce around from conflict to conflict, like pay me and I'll go there and I'll fight for you. Mm. So he spent some time in France helping keep King Henry IV on the throne, and he also fought for the Dutch in their War of Independence from Spain. Okay. But ultimately, he wanted to become a gentleman soldier. So that's like the honorable, like the social elite tier of being a soldier. Okay. To do so, he needed to improve his education and his military skills. So he immersed himself in classical military and political texts. And he saw a riding master to teach him how to handle a horse, hold a lance, and speak Italian. Basically, he hired like a private tutor to be mm-hmm. a soldier. And he was named Theodore Paleologue. He was also the riding master to the Earl of Lincoln. And for reasons that are not very clear, he really hated the Turks. And hmm. so in his <laughs> okay. teachings to John Smith, he also taught John Smith to really hate the Turks. Okay. <laughs> so for context, the Turks and the Ottoman Empire in this time, they were fighting against the Austrian Empire. Okay. So, so he's team Austria. Yeah. And like they it's like you'd think like not my race, not my horse or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but just instilled in John Smith this hatred of the Turks. It's just so random. <laughs> yeah. Like what does he fucking care about the Turks? just he wants to he wants to be a gentleman soldier and he needs to pick a side so somebody gave him a side all right well sure did he need to pick a side like (laughs) it seems like he didn't need to pick a side but whatever it doesn't matter go ahead (laughs) so after his training's done you know it's his dream to go fight for the austrian empire so in the summer of 1600 (laughs) against the turks (laughs) yeah so in the summer of 1600 at the age of about 20 he sets out for the continent again so he had gone back to england for his training so he sets out again for europe looking for what he calls quote brave adventures specifically to confront the turks but you know he dilly dallies a little bit on the way because you know he's a young man can't blame him Mm -hmm. he explores france for a little bit and then he books passage to italy on a boat but he's like drinking and whoring essentially one can presume. <laughs> I mean, he's a 20-year-old dude. He's a 20-year-old man, yes. Yeah. So the boat, though, on the way to Italy sinks during a storm, and he washes up on an island off of Cannes, where he's rescued by French Captain La Roche. To thank him for saving his life, Smith joins La Roche's crew for the summer. Summer job, summer internship. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> unpaid Mm -hmm. presumably it was paid because he got his life yes but he also earned money on this venture so like many french captains who sailed the mediterranean la roche wasn't just a traitor he was also a pirate Hmm. so now john smith is a pirate money morphin pirate powers As a pirate, he goes throughout the Mediterranean, becoming a very rich man over the course of four months, earning 500 zucchini. And I have to tell you right now, zucchini. Like the vegetable? No, Z-E-C-C-H-I-N-I. Zucchini. What is a zucchini then? I have 
absolutely no idea what this is valued at in any modern currency. I really tried. You sure it wasn't just someone who just misspelled zucchini? Like you no. just didn't get a whole fuck ton of zucchini? No. Unsolicited zucchinis? <laughs> I did look up that a zucchini is a type of coin, but I just don't know what its value is. Like, I don't it's know It's the equivalent how. of the New Atlantis currency. <laughs> oh my god. It was Rocks. apparently enough to make him wealthy. So I don't know if that was like thousands of dollars. Maybe he was a millionaire. I don't know. Slight tangent. So last night, someone was talking about the ancient, uh, I guess it was one of the museums here talks about, you know, Hawaiian Polynesian culture and like the different, you know, South Pacific islands and their cultures that all kind of came from the same thing, like the same origin. And I guess, I forget which one, but one of these cultures, their currency were rocks that they would shape into like discs essentially but like they just made it into money essentially but like if you wanted to like buy a dwelling a home you just have like this giant fucking disc that you just like roll to the person like now they have (laughs) this giant disc people sized well the one like like, so like a giant one would buy you like a house versus like a small one would buy you whatever like based on the size of the disc right so the size of the disc determined its value so like to buy more expensive things you just need a giant discs and i'm like well what do you fucking do with this giant disc now it's like i guess it has value because you give it value but like now what do you fuck you do with this giant fucking disc? yeah you then spend it on something else yeah what if you wanted to break it up and buy a bunch of smaller things how do you do that <laughs> but you can't like break it up it's like a perfect sphere it's like yeah, you can like saying, cut how it in would half. you do that like, so now you just have this giant disc that's worth a house and you don't have a house like <laughs> <laughs> well you go buy another house with said disc i guess i guess I forget what culture it was, but I found it very interesting. It's giant discs and it's like its value because you make it value. The disc culture. Yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I have no idea what zucchinis are. Okay. They have whatever value people decide they have. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Was it was enough to make him allegedly wealthy. So now that he has money, he still doesn't make it to fight for the Austrians because <laughs> he needs to do something with his money first. So... He takes to another fair, little detour. Like he's not super dedicated to the Austrians. <laughs> like he's just he's just there because he hates the Turks. Like <laughs> and he only hates the Turks because his riding master because told his, him to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but so now that he has money, he takes a little detour spending time in Italy. But then finally in the summer of 1601, he makes his way to I believe it's Hungary initially where he signs up with the Austrians. Okay. And they shuffle him around for a little while. During the battle for Limbach, which was a German town besieged by the Turks, John Smith used the military education that he gave himself from reading <laughs> to devise a signaling system, which, based on the description, I think it was kind of just like, sort of like Morse code using torches. So just like a this sort of visual signaling system to let the troops that were trapped in the town know that like they were coming to get them. Hmm. And on the night of the battle, he then used string cloth and powder to create the illusion of 2000 muskets firing. So it was just like a little magic trick he did to trick the Turks into thinking that there's actual gunfire. 
And so they moved their forces in response, only to find that it was just like this funky little mechanism that was just like shooting off little magic tricks, like yeah, little sparks. But the Turks moved their troops and that let Captain John Smith's troops, well, at this point, he's not a captain, spoilers, that let John Smith's troops Whoops. move in and, you know, rescue their Austrian troops. For his contributions to the victory, he was promoted to captain. So now he's a captain. All right, gotcha. that wasn't a huge spoiler. <laughs> I mean, we knew his name was Captain in the yeah. beginning, so That's presumably correct. at some point in time, yeah. he becomes a captain. So that point is now. Okay. Unless it's like the doctors who are not doctors who call themselves doctors. He could just call himself Captain. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, like... He was mm, legitimately a Captain. Okay. Yeah, right. Eventually. We'll allow, allow it. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. We're becoming the same person. Oh not my good. God. With winter settling in, they send his regiment to Transylvania. And this is where he engages in one of his more extraordinary events in his life, which also earns him, finally, the title of gentleman. So here in Transylvania, Smith engages in three duels, each ending with him beheading his opponent. Oh. And it begins when a Turkish captain who was literally just bored because apparently war is boring. <laughs> because he was quarantined during a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I guess just because it was winter and so the two fronts weren't actively engaged with each other. They were just kind of like okay. in a holding pattern waiting for like the weather to let up or waiting for like their commanding Back officers. War depended on the weather. To give them... <laughs> <laughs> Let's all agree to push pause because it's fucking cold as shit outside. Guys, it's raining. You know I melt in the rain. Like We will resume when the sun comes out. Yeah. Or maybe just like the captains or sergeants were still like devising their plans on the next moves or something. But so nothing was going on and this Turkish captain got bored and challenged the Austrian officers to a duel. So the Austrians drew lots and John Smith drew the short straw. Hmm. So he has to face off this captain in a duel. And so for the first duel, they use swords, and John Smith wins. And upset by the loss of his captain, another Turkish man challenges Smith. And for this one, they use pistols. John Smith wins again. And then for the final duel, John Smith gives the Turks a chance to redeem their honor. Like... You've already lost, like, this would be two out of three, basically. But, you know, if you can, if you can win the third one, then you've, you've redeemed yourselves. And so for that one, they used battle axes. Oh. <laughs> and oh, John Smith won again. Harsh. So Smith brings the three heads to the commanding Turkish general. And instead of, like, punishing Smith, like, get out of here, you Austrian, you killed three of my men. Kind of just gives credit where credit's due, like, you know, honoring the victor because he, he earned it. So even though, you know, it sucked for the Turkish general, he was just like, you know what? You want fair and nice square. Work, John Smith. Yeah. So he gave John a horse and a jewel encrusted scimitar. If I'm saying hmm. that correctly, it's like a okay. fancy Turkish saber. The sweetest honor, though, came from the Prince of Transylvania, who granted Smith the right to wear three Turkish heads on his shield. And bestowed oh. on him the title of English Gentleman. So huh. he had finally huh. succeeded in exchanging farmer for gentleman. It just seems like not a very gentlemanly reaction to behead people. 
Well, when you've been challenged a to a duel, yeah. I mean, okay. That's what people did I'm back just, then. They dueled. He didn't have a tantrum and lose his shit, you know. It's the Ten Duel Commandments. It's the Ten Duel Commandments. What? It's from Hamilton. It's from Hamilton. <laughs> I knew that, Steph. I God, guess Steph. that might be what it is. I didn't recognize it. You are supremely disappointing. But his becoming a gentleman Aww. reminds me a lot of a knight's tale. Like he changed his stars. Oh, that's nice. So being a gentleman didn't do a lot for him initially. Uh, shortly oh. after earning his title, he was wounded in a skirmish in November of 1602. And despite his status, the Turks that he lost to took him as a hostage and sold him in a slave market. Oh, that didn't last long. Yeah. No, that's not great at all. So his new master is like a wealthy Turkish man. He decides that Smith would make a lovely present for Sharatsa Trabigzanda, question mark. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Who is his Greek mistress in Constantinople. So he buys John Smith to give him as a gift to his mistress. Nice. Huh. Hashtag patriarchy. <laughs> Interesting that you would give your mistress a man. Well, to serve her. Like, you know, uh, to be like as a servant. servant, not as like a man. Not as, yeah. not as like a, not as like a penis. Yeah, it was as like a servant, mm. presumably. But she, you know, wink wink, she liked him. Mm-hmm. So I was right. She's a hottie with a body. She found him fascinating and mysterious. But she was nervous that I think like her mother would sell him for money. Like they didn't need a slave, so they would just sell him. So instead, she gave John Smith to her brother. So he's like passing hands very quickly here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She gives him to her brother to, quote, learn the language and what it was to be a Turk till time made her master of herself. So she was basically intending for her brother to train Smith to become a Turkish bureaucrat. So that once he obtained, like, appropriate status, she could marry him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it, would, it was, like, a better long-term plan to, like, prepare him for, like, elevating his status so that she could marry him than to keep him as a slave and just have fun, sexy times with him. Hmm. So she, yeah. was th- she had long-term She's goals there. In yeah. And, it's an investment. Yeah. And in... The Ottoman Empire, so Christians who converted to Islam and swore fealty to the Sultan were allowed to have successful and lucrative careers in the imperial government. So there's like there's precedent here for him to be able to make this transition. Her brother, however, had his own plans and he just wanted Smith to be a a traditional slave. And in fact, he thought very poorly of Smith, apparently, because he made Smith the slave to his other slaves. Oh. So just like the lowest. Oh, that's not great. That's not what she wanted. Slave status. Yeah. Not what she wanted. Mm -mm. This obviously was not ideal. And Smith eventually snapped during a moment that he was alone in a field with his master. He said that he forgot all reason. And when the opportunity arose, he smashed in the brother's head. Donned his clothes, hid his body under some straw, stole his horse, and rode off into the desert. Damn. I mean, that feels a little more premeditated, but okay. 
it would be almost a year before he found his way back to England in 1604. Damn. When he gets back to England, he finds that England is engulfed with colonization mania. Mm. And he wants to hop on that train, so to speak. Hop on those ships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The English nobility sneered at his hard-earned title of gentleman. They didn't really much care for it, and they still considered him to be a farmer. Maybe they didn't think the way he earned it was legitimate or something. Mm -hmm. But still, he made it a point to become friendly with the right people. And in April 1606, when the Virginia Company was granted permission to colonize part of the East Coast of North America, he was able to secure a spot on the expedition. And he was even appointed to the governing council. In December 1606, so just later that year in the winter, they sailed for Virginia. The conditions at sea were so rough that the journey that was supposed to be a month long turned into five months. Jesus. I mm-hmm. know. So disease festered and factions formed. Obviously, tensions got really high as food? like. Yeah, no, rations were dwindling. Mm. And John Smith was charged with mutiny. So he allegedly tried to plot to murder his fellow council members and make himself king of Virginia. <laughs> whether that was true or whether okay. that was like just theorized in people's fear and panic is unknown. Mm-hmm. But they charged him and he spent the last 13 weeks of the voyage in chains. Oof. So it was only like halfway through the trip that they called him out on mutiny and restrained him, basically. I'm still like one month turning into five months. It's just. Yeah, that's horrific. Ludicrous. Yeah. Like, is it just Not like that it is poorly planned when to go? Is like winter rough seas or something? Just I assume yes. <laughs> I don't know why December would be a great time yeah, to why go. Why would they depart in the winter? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe so few people had made that voyage. <laughs> I'm remembering when you talked about bringing the pineapples back. Yeah, and how, that's what like, I was thinking The winter too. was the rough time, so like you would not get that many pineapples that would survive because the voyage was rougher. And that was before yeah. this, right? So like, they knew that winter was a tough time. Maybe you wait a few more months and go in spring. No, this would have been... The pineapples were a little bit later. Oh, they were after this? Okay. Because they had to have colonized. No. Maybe this is when they figured out that winter was a shitty they. time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> this here. Is how they it had to be the a Genesis. first time. Yeah. <laughs> this was their first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, did I tell you I might be going to a rodeo for Fourth of July? What? Oh God. Oh my God. There's rodeos sorry, in Denver. First off, who's having a rodeo right now? And why are the rodeos happening? And the whole time I'm just gonna say, this is my first rodeo to anyone who will listen. Stealing my joke. I mean, using your joke. You have to cite your references yes. every time. This is my first rodeo, according <laughs> this to is Steph. my first rodeo. <laughs> Copyright Steph. <laughs> Just any Steph. <laughs> Harpy Steph. <laughs> okay. When they did get to Virginia, I guess they were basically kind of like, okay, fine, like we'll let you go because we kind of just like need your help but we'll keep an eye on you. So they didn't really like do anything long-term, which really sucks because like why bother keeping him restrained for 13 weeks on a fucking boat? That sounds terrible. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You've been through enough. They finally arrive in May 2000. Sorry. Well, definitely not 2000. I on May, <laughs> <laughs> on May 
I'm just automatically filling in. It was a really long boat trip. (laughs) It was real rough, guys. (laughs) On May 13th, 1607, they founded Jamestown, which was Britain's first permanent settlement in North America. But food was a problem immediately because, as we mentioned, they used up all of their food on their long-ass journey over. And because of the timing, when they arrived, it, like, wasn't great to get started with farming. Mm. Like, they had missed the planting season. God, so slow. So they, like, weren't set up to make crops for, mm. for the summer. Yeah, not great. The gentlemen, so anybody on the journey who was a gentleman, refused to contribute to the labor because it was beneath them. Oh, my God. So basically, instead, they just whined about things when they could have been fucking doing things to help. (sighs) And within six months, 50 colonists had died from illness stemming from things like bad diet or malnutrition, also disease-bearing mosquitoes that they weren't used to, and unsuitable clothing and like heat exhaustion and stuff like that. Smith refused to let the colony starve, and his efforts to help are what led him to Pocahontas. So he began trading for maize with the local indigenous people and also exploring the region looking for additional food sources. And in December 1607, he was ambushed by a band of Pohatan local native tribe. There's different accounts of what happened next. So one telling, which is the one that's like kind of popularized in the Disney version, is that the chief was going to execute Smith, but Pocahontas the chief's daughter placed herself between Smith and his intended executioner. So it is accurate. I said that's one telling. All right. <laughs> but here's what is so snappy. Inaccurate. <laughs> A note on Pocahontas. She was 12. Oh. And he Ooh. was 27. Ew. Yeah, because the, don't yeah, ew, there was no relationship. Like that oh. was not a thing. <laughs> oh, okay. That well, then, never oh, okay, happened. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> There was no relationship romantically between Pocahontas and John Smith. All right. Well, that's good. One of the ways to discount this story, according to historians, is that it would have been very unlikely Pocahontas, given her age, would have been at a supposed execution because of the very like ritualistic nature of an execution, that it would have been like a very ceremonial thing. Like probably for the tribe's men. Right. Yeah, yeah, and so a, a child wouldn't have been present if if they were doing an execution. Well, she snuck in. There was also no evidence that they would have wanted to kill him. Historians believe that most likely they admired Smith for his bravery and courage, and they wanted to form an alliance with the English because both the English and the indigenous people feared threats from the Spanish, even though, like, the English were also threats. I think they feared the Spanish more. And so they thought that like, if they could negotiate an allegiance with the English, then they could work together to prevent themselves from like worse things by the Spanish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, whether it's the version where they try to execute him or what, one way or another, they do form an alliance. So Smith forms an alliance with his colony, with the folks in Jamestown with the Pohatan tribe. So Pocahontas' role was most likely just as a symbol of peace. Because of her age, they would bring her to Jamestown when they were trading with the colony. And her presence, again, as a child, was 
most likely to ensure that like neither side would cause violence to the other. So like they were trading peacefully, but just to protect themselves in case there was, you know, a misunderstanding and then like a skirmish, like neither side would engage in a conflict if there's a child present, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Come on, everybody, not in front of the children. <laughs> so they, okay. brought, they most likely brought her as a symbol of peace when they came for trading. And so that is the extent of the Pocahontas-Captain John Smith relationship. Huh. Okay. That's a lot. That is certainly less different. saucy. Yes. That's all I'm going to say about Pocahontas. There's a whole story there, very sad and terrible about her capture and wedding to John Rolfe and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Story for another day. So in 1608, John Smith was elected the president of the colony. So I think he had proven to people that he could really care for them with his allegiances and trades and being able to provide food. However, they didn't like his work ethic or he had a work ethic that they didn't like because it was too hard. <laughs> he said that he that will not work shall not eat. So no lazy gentleman just sitting around and still getting a share of the resources. Earlier, colonists had been fed from like a common storehouse, regardless of like how much they contributed to the colony. And so people liked that better. But then when he became president, they were like, not anymore. You have to like work for your share. And despite the allegiances that he formed, tensions were still very high with the local native tribes because even though they had agreements when they were desperate and like they were running out of food and they weren't due to trade for a while or something, Smith still would raid native villages. And the Pohatans were like, dude, seriously? <laughs> and so they had... Come on, um, bro. Yeah, the, the tribes had allegiances with different or like trading agreements with different colonies so by this point also like it's not just jamestown there's other people that they can trade with and so they had like liaisons with every community and so john smith was the liaison for the jamestown community to the tribe and reportedly the poetons like john smith was their least favorite liaison like they needed him but he was also like he just had the worst reputation out of all their other liaisons because he was also mm-hmm. still like frequently raiding the villages and they had to come back and be like, listen, we had a deal. You need to shut the shit down and like follow our our binding agreement. OK. But in September 1609, Smith was injured when his powder bag exploded, ripping a nine inch square chunk of flesh from his thigh. Oof. Nope. Nope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep he jumped into the river to put out the fire like so it it was like his clothes were on fire around his burning flesh and so he jumped into the river where he almost drowned from the shock i mean yeah (laughs) and the injury forced his return to london for care but they never sent him back so the virginia company shareholders decided to reorganize the colony's leadership. And so he ended up just staying. Mm. And yeah, he did make one more trip to North America in 1614, this time to a region that he named New England. So I did not know that he, he named huh. it that. I didn't know, I didn't know that was him for that. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. 
He tried a few more times to like get permission or join an expedition to continue returning to America, but he never succeeded. So he instead increasingly focused on writing. So, you know, he wrote his autobiography and he also wrote a lot of like guides to the new world that helped further promote exploration and settlement. So by the time Smith died in 1631, English settlement in North America was flourishing for better or worse. And that's the story of Captain John Smith. I want to go watch Pocahontas now. All right. The smell of success. The not so sweet smell of success. (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys ever heard of the Ig Nobel Prize? No. Nope. So, the Ig Nobel Prize is a satirical award given out annually. It started in 1991, and its purpose is to celebrate 10 absurd scientific research achievements from that year or that were like I love it. released or discovered that year. I it's am so ready. Amazing. The idea is to quote honor achievements that first make people laugh, then make them think. They are awards for discoveries, quote, that cannot or should not be reproduced. Amazing. I'm telling you, there's like, I mentioned this before in one of my earlier segments, but like people just do science for the sake of science. Like it Um, has no benefit, like, except for just like to do the scientific method or whatever, like the scientific method. So the Ig Nobel Prize is a pun on the Nobel Prize and the word ignoble, which the definition of ignoble <laughs> is not honorable in character or purpose. Mm. Remember when you made fun of me for quoting Merriam-Webster and now Steph is quoting Merriam-Webster and I'm doing Steph's ridiculous just history. Steph's on like Tracy's wavelength. She, same, I mean, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah. You become it's the same happening. person. Should I shout into the microphone like this? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like I'd lose my voice. <laughs> so it is organized by the Annals of Improbable Research, AIR magazine, which is a scientific humor magazine. The ceremony itself, let's talk about that. So the prizes are presented by real Nobel laureates at the Sanders Theater at Harvard. Excellent. The winners later go on to give lectures at MIT. Amazing. That's awesome. If someone's speech goes on like too long during the ceremony, there's a little girl voice. They call her Miss Sweetie Poo, and she says, Please stop. I'm bored to corral them (laughs) off the stage. I changed my mind. I want to become Miss Miss Sweetie Sweetie Poo. Poo. Yes. Please stop. I'm bored. At the close of the ceremonies, the MC will say, quote, if you didn't win a prize, and especially if you did, better luck next year. <laughs> Amazing. And throughout the ceremony, it's kind of a tradition that people will throw paper airplanes onto the stage. And that at the end, the, quote, keeper of the broom will sweep the stage clean of the paper airplanes. There are just so many goals. Who's the keeper of the broom? So usually it is a professor named Professor Roy J. Glauber. Okay. He only missed one ceremony, and that was in 2005. And that was because he was in Stockholm getting an actual Nobel Prize at the time. <laughs> oh, all right. I guess that's okay. <laughs> and the, uh, the ceremony is broadcast on NPR and also live on the internet. 
So they have categories. Some of them are similar to like the actual Nobel Prize. So they'll have like physics, chemistry, physiology and medicine, literature, peace. But then they also have other categories that kind of rotate. So there's always 10 awards, but sometimes they'll rotate the categories a little bit. So some of the other ones are like public health, engineering, biology, interdisciplinary research, psychology, economics. So it kind of, those are a little bit more variable. Sometimes they're awarded in kind of like a passive aggressive criticism type manner. So like two (laughs) awards have been given out for homeopathy research. Amazing. They've given out awards to the Kansas and Colorado Departments of Education for, for their science education programs. For lack thereof, yeah, for their stances on (laughs) teaching evolution. So these these um, departments mandated that children should not believe in Darwin's theory of evolution any more than they believe in Newton's theory of gravitation, Faraday's and Maxwell's theory of electromagnetism, or Pasteur's theory of germs and disease. Which I feel like we should believe in. They should believe in all of those, (laughs) right? Right. Every single one. Yes. But there are theories. It's just a theory. I just had this conversation with Craig about theories and how in North Carolina, he was raised to believe like that evolution was like not like it was just a theory. Like it was yeah. not. Yeah. So is gravity. Go jump out a window and see what happens. Right. Like, exactly. fuck you. Who don't understand the definition of a scientific theory. I don't, I'm sure Craig doesn't actually believe in those things. No, he right? doesn't. Okay. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> not I would have at some all. concerns. Like, no, he was just telling stories about like... His education growing right, up. Right, right, right. Gotcha. That is, that is not what he ascribes to. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, but usually it's for like science articles with kind of humorous and unexpected features to them. So some examples are uh, one research article that found that ostriches tend to be hornier when humans are present. Oh, oh. we black turn hole- on ostriches. Black holes have all the features we'd expect to find in hell. Yeah. And research on the five second rule when you drop food on the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an important one. That's a, is, that, yeah. yeah, don't laugh at that one. Um, Sir Andre Geim, G-E-I-M, I think, Geim. Sure. He got the Ig Nobel Prize in 2000 because he was levitating frogs with magnets. But then in 2010, he got the actual Nobel Prize in physics for his studies on electromagnetic properties of graphene. And he's the only person to ever win both awards. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Also, even the broomkeeper guy hasn't who sweeps up after all of the ceremonies. He doesn't He's not one. He has not won an Ig Nobel. He won the Nobel Prize. He won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, but so despite his role in... Right, he's just part of the... He's just like on the committee or something. Yeah. Or just... Because like it is run by like actual Nobel laureates and like professors and people in, you know, in the sciences. So actual scholars and professors are running this i bet that guy is the funnest guy at like the nobel prize dinners probably because he's done both (laughs) yes in 2006 there was a prize for finding out that mosquitoes are equally attracted to limburger cheese and human feet (laughs) but this research actually proved pretty useful because in africa they started baiting mosquito traps with limburger cheese to fend off malaria instead of feet so that even though is, they're ridiculous, sometimes they're useful. <laughs> yeah. That seems like probably an inexpensive and like practical thing to deploy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what started Amazing. me down this path was I, I heard that there was something called the gay bomb. Have you guys ever heard of this? I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. It's actually mentioned in an episode of 30 Rock once. Yeah. And it's an actual thing that the U.S. Air Force investigated. And so in 2007, the U.S. Air Force's Wright Laboratory received the Ig Nobel Prize because they were researching the gay bomb or the <laughs> poof bomb. Yes. I've heard of this. <laughs> what, what is it? This is their 1994 plan to create this bomb. So like, I, I wanted to do a whole segment on this bomb, but there wasn't enough there. And then I found the Ig Nobel Prize thing. And I was like, this is even better. So I kind of like went down the separate rabbit hole. But I still want to talk about this bomb. So in 1994 is when they were developing these plans. And their documents were declassified more recently. And that's when they got the, the prize for it. It would have been a $75 million project. They were postulating that they could create a bomb with a strong aphrodisiac, essentially like female sex hormones. Mm -hmm. And it would, quote, contained a chemical that would cause enemy soldiers to become gay and to have their units break down because all their soldiers would become irresistibly attractive to one another. I have heard of this. Mm hmm. Yep. Within the same article from the, you know, within the same research project by the U.S. Air Force, they were also looking at chemicals that it could attract angry, aggressive wasps or ones that would make your skin super sensitive to the sun, which I would call the Elizabeth bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth just needs to be adjacent to the sun, but still in the shade to get burned. It's so accurate. Also, heat. I've discovered, so I, you guys know that I recently had like hives problems, mm -hmm. potentially chronic hives. So in quarantine, we're not blow drying my hair a lot because why do I need to do my hair? Right. I'm fucking going anywhere. But I did blow dry it the other day and I got hives all over my face. That's mm. horrific. And that's so horrific. She told me that like, so I also get hives like now when I, when I exercised recently and she told my allergist that like heat and exercise, like anything that would like dramatically increase like my body temperature can trigger the hives. But so, yeah, I found out this morning when I was blow drying my hair that <laughs> I will get a rash all across my face now from That's heat. unsettling. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so that's my life now. No sun. <laughs> no Aww. blow dryer. Sorry, that sucks. Boo. Back to the Air Force. Okay. Yeah. They were also creating body odor bombs. So Gross. one was called the halitosis bomb. Halitosis means bad breath. So they wanted right. to give soldiers like severe, long-lasting bad breath. Another yeah. one was the heavy sweating bomb, which I think is self-explanatory. Yep. Just make the oh. soldiers sweat intensely and smell terrible. I hate it. And lastly, the flatulence bomb. Yes! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> to make their soldiers super farty. I think the idea super behind farty. all of these was that it would make the soldiers hard to blend in with regular civilians because they would just like stink too bad. Or to make them like just lose focus because they just everything just like You can't like engage in combat if you're just gassy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all stink too bad. Horrific. So I went through from 1999, I'm sorry, 1991 until 2019. I, I read through all of them and I wanted to highlight like one from each year that was my personal favorite. Awesome. 
1991, Jacques Benveniste, he got the award for chemistry. He claims to have proven that water has memory and that high dilutions of a substance with, was highly active, even though it didn't contain any of the original substance in it. A.K.A. Like Olaf. Homeopathy. <laughs> like Olaf. He printed his article, his research in Nature, which is a scientific journal, and no studies afterwards could replicate what he found, but he refused to retract. Nice. So he got the award the first year for homeopathy. 1992, Jim Knowlton, he made a poster called Penises of the Animal Kingdom, and he got the award for art. I've seen that poster. Amazing. Oh, at the Penis Museum. At the Penis Museum in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, where's Mm -hmm. the Penis Museum? It's in Iceland. (laughs) Uh, That's right. I remember you posing with pictures of penises. Yep. Posing with pictures of penises. Say that five times fast. No, thank you. So his poster depicted several animal penises, like hand drawn in Mm -hmm. size order. So it was whale, elephant, giraffe, bull, horse, pig, porpoise, ram, goat, hyena, dog, human. Womp womp. Except for humans, the penises all contained the internal portion as well as the external. But for humans, for some reason, he only drew the external. Boo. And the National Endowments of the Arts encouraged him to turn it into a pop-up book, which I couldn't find if that ever actually happened or not. In 1993, the Pepsi-Cola Company of the Philippines got the award for peace when they sponsored a contest to create a millionaire, but accidentally announced the wrong winning number and incited a riot of 800,000 people who thought they had won. Oh. (laughs) Womp womp. In 1994, there were two prizes. First, to patient X, who was bit by his own rattlesnake and decided to attach automobile spark plugs to his lip and rev the car engine to 3,000 RPMs per minute for five minutes. Why? The second award went to Dr. Richard C. Dart of the Rocky Mountain Poison Center and Richard A. Gustafson at the University of Arizona Health Sciences Center, who wrote the medical report, quote, Failure of electric shock treatment for rattlesnake envenomation. (laughs) Oh, my. 1995. David B. Bush and James R. Starling got it for literature with their published research report, Rectal Foreign Bodies, Case Studies and a Comprehensive Review of World's Literature. Amazing. Where they wrote a report about things found up people's butts. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Wait, did you say... On or up? Up. Yeah, rectal. These are things in people's rectums. Oh, right. Yes. (laughs) The items included, quote, seven light bulbs, a knife sharpener, two flashlights, a wire spring, a snuff box, an oil can with a potato stopper, 11 different forms of fruits, vegetables, and other foodstuffs, a jeweler's saw, a frozen pigtail, a tin cup, a beer glass, and one patient's remarkable ensemble collection consisting of spectacles, a suitcase key, a tobacco pouch, and a magazine. That was all in one. That was one butt. Wait, cool. what? Those last four items were all in one butt. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant the whole list. No, 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 I no. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> a human butt? There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. 1996. Don Featherstone got the award for art for his invention of the plastic pink flamingo. 
Oh. Huh. <laughs> oh, I think seems appropriate. This woman that I used to work with dated him when she really? was a young little lass. Stop. Yeah. No. It's like a story no. that she would tell us. Interesting. I like that his name is Featherstone. Kind of fits. Yeah, that's appropriate. Because she um she yeah, cuz we were um I was a biologist and she was also but her background when she was younger, she was a chemist and she worked in plastics. Yeah. So she, I don't know if they dated, but she knew the plastic pink flamingo guy. Huh. Cause they worked like in plastics together nice. in her early <laughs> career. I never thought of that as being like a thing Perfect. that was invented. Just <laughs> it, just, like, it just yeah. came into being. <laughs> that someone had to invent that one day, you know, <laughs> the big bang Isn't of, consider an flamingo invention? of just like, it's a lawn ornament. Yeah. I don't know. 1997, Bernard Vonnegut for meteorology got the award for his study, quote, chicken plucking as a measure of tornado wind speed. Huh? Nice. I guess it was something about how it's very wind speed based on how chicken feathers got blown off the chicken. Cool. 1998, our friend Jacques Benvenista again for chemistry when he, quote, discovered that not only does water have memory, but that memory can be transmitted over telephone lines and through the internet. We were, maybe was it my roommate? Who, Who's listening to this dude anymore? Like, what's like? What are we I doing? I was talking to somebody recently about water having memory. That was, was us with room. our homeopathy. Oh. oh, when I did homeopathy a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. 1999, the British Standards Institution got it for literature for their six-page paper on the proper way to make a cup of tea. I just saw something that was on the internet lately about a woman like on TikTok who was doing a demonstration on how to make tea, and like Brits are furious. She's doing it she, wrong. <laughs> yeah, I she think did not she, read the six-page oh report. My. Yeah, I think she microwaved the mug and oh, for, yeah, that's a for no-no. just like one minute and then she put the milk in before she steeped it. So this is like just in this past week and people were losing their shit and they're just like, this has to be a hoax. Like this woman doesn't actually believe that that's how you make tea, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a TikTok video that she did. Oh my God. Perfect. Uh, in 2000, Chris Niswander got it for computer science when he invented PawSense, a software that could detect when a cat was walking across your computer keyboard. Excellent. I need it now. Wait, can't you detect when a cat's walking? <laughs> I guess it's keyboard? like yeah, I'm my this is me speculating, but like if you walk away from your keyboard and it's your cat walks on it to stop the stop it from doing things, like, oh, this is clearly a cat. I'm not right. gonna not do whatever the keys are saying. Yeah, I imagine it's like a fail-safe mechanism. Or if like your cat jumps on your keyboard spontaneously or something and the computer doesn't react to it. I'm, this is my guessing. I don't know. Right. I have no idea why else we would need to make something like this. 2001, Peter Bars got the award for medicine because he wrote the medical report, Injuries Due to Fallen Coconuts. He yes. wrote this from his home in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> don't know if there's no. many coconuts up there. His informed opinion. He's got a lot to say about coconuts from Canada. I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> there they are standing in the loom. Boom, okay, I don't boom, know any boom, of the other lines. Like one small, one some as big as your head. Okay. Okay, that's enough. 2002, 
Carl Kruselnicki got it for interdisciplinary research for his comprehensive research on belly button fluff. Who gets it when, what the color is, and how much? (laughs) Fascinating. Someone's got to answer these questions, you know? Burning questions. Mm -hmm. 2003, it went to Keyes Moliker for biology when he documented the first case of homosexual necrophilia in a mallard duck. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. It's horny ducks, man. Important discovery. Horny gay ducks. Yeah. 2004, it went to Ben Wilson, Lauren Still, Robert Batty, Magnus Wahlberg, and Hakan Westerberg for biology when they discovered that herrings communicate by farting. Yeah. (laughs) 2005, Edward Kussler and Brian Gettelfinger for chemistry when they answered the age-old questions can humans swim faster in water or in syrup? Shocking. Let me guess. Water. I didn't actually read the report, so I don't know the results, but I'm going to guess water. Someone had to do the research. 2006. I couldn't choose, so I have a couple here. Daniel Oppenheimer for literature for his report, Consequences of Erudite Vernacular Utilized Irrespective of Necessity. Problems with using long words needlessly. <laughs> <laughs> I like That's it. That's what I was going to guess. As you <laughs> I like it a that. lot. Like, These words are too long. Yes. He's doing this on purpose. He is. There's also uh, for mathematics, Nick Snevson and Piers Barnes got it when they figured out the number of photographs that must be taken to almost ensure that nobody in the group will have their eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> and in medicine, Francis Fesmier got it for his case report on termination of intractable hiccups with digital rectal massage. Nice. Finger your butt. Sticking a finger up the bum to stop your hiccups. Excellent. 2007 was the gay bomb. It won't go in that again. Okay. 2008 for biology, Marie-Christine Kattergus, Christelle Schaubert, and Michael Frank for the discovery that fleas that live on dogs can jump higher than fleas that live on cats. Hmm. Important information. They have different fleas? I think it's the same fleas, just for some reason, they jump higher on dogs. The dander is heavier, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know. I d- again, didn't read the report. We'll have to read the, the report. Read the report. This is some half-assed science thing. Oh, stuff. my God. There's like literally 30 things here. I can't. <laughs> didn't have the time. Go. 2009, public health. Elena Bodner, Raphael Lee, and Sandra Marajan, which is, this is research that's pretty important for today, I think. They invented a bra that can be quickly converted into a pair of gas masks, one for the wearer and one for a needy bystander. 2010, Richard Stevens, John Atkins, and Andrew Kingston proved that swearing does relieve pain. Excellent. Stub your toe and you curse, it actually helps. In 2011, Artuis Zuikos got the Peace Award for demonstrating that the problem of illegally parked luxury cars can be solved by running over them with a tank. <laughs> How does I that, love that that's the conclusion. Get rid of the car being in the spot. It just gives you a hump of metal. Well, maybe if you start and running over these spot. cars, people will stop parking illegally because they know it's a consequence. Like if you park your luxury car illegally, it will get run over. So they stop doing it. 2012, the Medicine Award went to Emmanuel Bensusen and Mikkel Antonetti 
for advising doctors who perform colonoscopies on how to minimize their chance of their patients exploding, which I didn't know that was a possibility. That is not true. Wait, is that a side effect? (laughs) That is not true. You can't explode. Can you? I don't know. Apparently, they did research that said that you, like, they gave advice on how to make your patients not explode. Is the percentage zero? (laughs) I never knew that was a side effect. (laughs) Like a... A potential poor outcome of a colonoscopy. I really hope that it's zero. I, I hope so. There is zero percent chance of you exploding. I'm thinking like just like that if they were ill prepared for their colonoscopy, that they would like explosively diarrhea on you as you were trying to get in there, and but not you exploding. That's not what it said, Liz. That's not what it said. <laughs> Didn't say explosive diarrhea. It says how to minimize their chances of exploding. Colonic gas explosion is a rare but potentially serious complication during colonoscopy. Yes, it sounds serious. With electrocautery. So it's when oh you're using electrocautery. I can't, I can't. Oh my God. Move on. This is my nightmare. <laughs> Move on. But it is due to poor colon preparation. Mm. So always prep for your colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Don't half ass it. But I'm ching. Oh God, I hate you so much. Oh my God. Okay, moving on. 2013. Bert Tolkamp, Marie Haskell, Frithel Langford, David Roberts, and Colin Morgan. They got the reward for probability for their two related discoveries. First, the longer that a cow has been lying down, the more likely that cow will soon stand up. (laughs) That's fucking genius. Second, once the cow stands up, you cannot easily predict how soon the cow will again lie back down. Someone, <laughs> these are the important questions you, that someone needs to answer. But so the longer they're standing doesn't mean the sooner they'll lay down again? Apparently it's not The inverse isn't there true. Is not, no. There's no correlation, Liz. <laughs> you can't predict. Once they're standing, you cannot predict when they're going to lie down. I, I just... Why don't we have a cure for cancer yet? <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is what happens when you do science for science's sake. <laughs> Jesus. 2014, Eagle Reamers and Sindri Ephistol. Their The category was Arctic on Science. They tested how reindeer react to seeing humans disguised as polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> Just people in polar bear costumes. Amazing. In 2015, I picked two again because they were both great. Patricia Yang, David Hu, and Jonathan Pham and Jerome Chu in physics for testing the biological principle that nearly all mammals empty their bladders at a, in about 21 seconds, plus or minus 13 seconds. Which is a big plus or minus. Yeah, that's, that's plus like, or minus. That's half the time. <laughs> that's plus or yeah. minus 50%. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> no, no. I reject your science. And for diagnostic medicine, Ugh, there's like eight people here. I'm not going to name them. They did okay. determined that acute appendicitis can accurately be diagnosed by the amount of pain evident when the patient is driven over speed bumps. Oh, which actually like patients who come into the ER and you're suspicious of appendicitis in them. I will ask them like sometimes, you know, does it hurt when you walk around or jump around or like, did it hurt on your car ride here? Or they'll volunteer that information like, Every bump we hit in the road mm-hmm. hurt my belly. So I guess that's where they 
started this research from but yeah. i can't imagine like probably how do you why would you quantify the amount like you know they have appendicitis and you're going to drive them around and ask how much pain they're in when they hit a speed bump like is that how you do that research <laughs> get them to the or what does it matter <laughs> That's actually kind of amazing. In 2016, the award went for chemistry went to Volkswagen for solving the problem of excessive automobile pollution emissions by automatically, electromechanically producing fewer emissions whenever the cars were being tested for emissions. <laughs> Do you remember the scandal? It made, it made the headlines. Yeah. Yep. They pretty yeah. much just made it so that during testing, their, their emissions were not accurately calculated to make it seem like they were not as bad for the environment 2017 mark antoine fardin for physics got the award for using fluid dynamics to investigate if cats can be both a solid and a fluid i heard that one Mm -hmm. because of the way they like can just melt Melt. into a box like we said before they're like dolly clocks it just melts (laughs) i love it 2018 mark mitchell and david wartinger for medicine they used roller coaster rides to try to hasten the passage of kidney stones. Huh. That sounds horrifically painful. Yes, it does. Like it. That's the last thing. Like people with kidney stones are like writhing in pain. They can't get comfortable. They're moaning. They're rolling around on the bed. Like the last thing they want to do is get on a fucking roller coaster. <laughs> Jesus. And lastly, in 2019, again, there's like eight people here. They got the award for peace for trying to quantify the pleasure of scratching an itch. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, that is. I can tell you it's immeasurable. (laughs) Very satisfying. The limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. So much pleasure. Oh, yes. So that is the Ig Nobel Prize Award and the amazing contributions to science that these winners have made. Amazing. If you want to listen to Harpy Hour, which you absolutely do and should, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen, please read us and leave a glowing review. Why do you shout the names of... <laughs> I have hand motions that I do. <laughs> shouts everything all the time <laughs> i want people to hear it but you have this like slow build up and then you're like itunes spotify google play Stitcher. <laughs> i hate you move on <laughs> if you have stories you think we might like or you just want to say hello because you think we're awesome we you can are. email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com or Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Harpy Hour Pod. Give us all of your likes and retweets. We'd love it. Please and thank you. You should also follow us on Patreon. So as we said at the beginning of this episode, we have uh, a new AMA out, Ask Us Anything. We answered your questions from the prior month. So if you want to hear the answers to those questions or ask some of your own, you got to join at that level. Yes. Please consider donating to us to help keep us on the air. Thanks for listening. Okay, okay bye. bye.